We're majoring in the minors on Sunday evenings, uh, minor prophets that is, and we've worked our way to the book of Jonah. I love this graphic that I found, and it's particularly the subheading here, Jonah, reluctant prophet, relentless God. A reluctant prophet. I was telling Mr. G that I had a professor at Freed Hardeman, Clyde Woods, that told us in class one day that he was assigned to speak at the lectureship one year, and he was asked to speak about Jonah as, as a prophet or as a missionary. What we can learn about Jonah uh, as applicable to being a missionary. And he was relaying to the class that all he could do was give negative example. Actually a positive example, but a bad example for, for, for missionaries. Mr. G told me he heard a lesson one time about a, a preacher that was, well, this is my terminology, a preacher that was successful, but he didn't want to be. He didn't want to be. So he is a reluctant prophet, but he is working for, and, he get, and God has to get the attention to just how, to uh, his attention to show him just how relentless God is and how passionate he is about saving people. So I invite you to open your Bibles or look up. Uh, the book of Jonah, it's a short book. We're going to walk through it together for a few moments and highlight some lessons from, from, this, from this book. I want to use a classic outline for the four chapters uh, that I think I heard, first heard from my dad many years ago. And it all has to do with running, running. First chapter is Jonah running away from God, running away from God. Notice with me, first verse of Jonah 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. This is uh, years before Assyria would take over uh, the, the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, and take them captive. But uh, Nineveh was, was the power at that time, Assyria was, and they were a, a ruthless people, especially ruthless to, to captives that they would take. And that enters into why Jonah was so reluctant uh, to go. In fact, he did not want to go at all to preach to this people in, in Nineveh. But if you, if you notice the map, Nineveh is over here some 500 miles uh, north and, and east of where, of where Jonah was. 500 miles north and east. So that's where God tells him to go. But watch what happens, verse 3. Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. God tells him, go to Nineveh, 500 miles to the north and east. But instead, he goes down to Joppa and boards a ship that is headed toward Tarshish, which is believed to be Tartessus or Tartessus in Spain, some place on the south, uh, southwest portion of Spain. But that spans about 2,000 miles. So four times the distance from 
uh, from Judah up to up to uh, to Nineveh, he's headed four times the distance in the opposite direction, and he's trying to get away quote from from the presence of of the Lord. But watch what happens, and this is the familiar part of of the book of Jonah. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. I want you to notice that the Lord sent this great wind. There are numerous miracles in the book of Jonah, and this is one of them. Verse 5, Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. He's on a ship with many pagans who worship false gods, but each of them is appealing to their God. And when the captain finds Jonah asleep, he says, You need to cry out to your God as well. We need help. How can you sleep at such a time? Verse 7, they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. This apparently uh, was guided by God, because Jonah is pinpointed, even on, in the midst of pagan idolaters, Jonah is pinpointed as the reason for the trouble that they are experiencing. Verse 8, they said to him, please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? They're asking Jonah. Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And notice Jonah's, Jonah's honesty. He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah knows exactly why this storm has come upon them. He knows it's God's judgment upon him. Verse 10, Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know this great tempest is tempest is because of, of me. Jonah knows exactly this is God's judgment upon him. Throw me overboard. That's the only way that the sea is going to become calm for you. Notice the reluctance of the, of the crew to do that. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring the ship to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and, we, and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea, here's another miracle, ceased from its raging. Verse 16, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They were given a visual demonstration of the power of the one true God. And they even offer a sacrifice to him 
and made vows. No doubt vows to, to uh, serve him. Hopefully then they would leave behind the worship of false gods. Verse 17, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We've known that since studying this in, in Bible school. Did some, some study about the word translated fish. Many times the story is told it's a whale. From what I've read, the, the term that's used in the Hebrew can refer to a fish, to a whale, to a sea monster. So whatever you want to say, but I'll just use the wording as it's given here. But the answer to me is this, that the Lord prepared it. Many people have wondered, is there a sea creature in the oceans that could actually swallow a man whole? And I don't care to enter that debate because the fact that the Lord prepared the fish for this purpose. And that settles it for me. I hope it does for you as well. So chapter 1, we find Jonah running from God and running, trying to run in a very great distance. Notice some lessons for, for application. Number one, failure to do God's will is, is sin. Jonah knew he had messed up. He knew he was disobeying a direct command from God. You see, sin is not only abstaining from things that uh, God says are wrong, it is also sin not to obey the things that God wants us to do. And here was a direct obedience uh, from Jonah to the will of God. Number A second lesson, you can't hide from God. You can't run from God. Where, where would you go to try to get away from God? Jonah was trying to go in the opposite direction of where uh, God wanted him to go. From the presence of the Lord, he, he writes. Psalm 139, David poses these questions. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. That's Psalm 139. And when David penned those words, I believe he was <coughs> speaking of the omnipresence of God as something that was of great comfort to him. Jonah learned it the other way. He learned the hard way. You can't run from God. You can't hide from him. But another lesson we learn from this chapter <coughs> is that God is concerned about all nations and all people. Again, Assyria was a world power, was an evil people, a brutal people. But yet God is concerned about them and wants to send Jonah, this prophet from Gath Hefer, uh, which was just a few miles uh, north and west of what would become Nazareth. But wanted him to go all the way to Assyria to preach to them, to preach that they should repent and turn to God. So the end of chapter 1, Jonah is now in the belly of the great fish, having run away from God. Next we find him running to God. <coughs> He's running to God. Verse 1 of chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. 
Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters encompassed me even to my soul. The deep closed around me. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars, it closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you. With the voice of thanksgiving, I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. When we say Jonah is running to God, he's praying from the belly of this great fish. He's turning to God in, in repentance. And his wording sounds like a psalm. And in my Bible, there are noted several references to passages in the psalms, which seems to have influenced Jonah's thinking. It may be that he's quoting part of the Psalms to, that were describing David and others' predicaments in that time, but he's relating them to his own time. But he's using the wording of the Psalms to, to speak about his penitence and how he is sorrowful for <coughs> going the, the wrong way and now is turning back to God. Um, and we learn two lessons. Well, notice verse 10. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Notice these lessons for application. Number one, Jonah's repentance was motivated by God's judgment. No doubt Jonah being thrown into the sea and then swallowed by this great fish got his attention and caused him to turn back to God. Homer Haley wrote years ago, Someone has observed that there are times when we must be made to go into the lowest depths that we may regain a living faith. And going to the lowest depths, literally, got Jonah's attention and caused him to turn back to God. Uh, W.T. Allison said it like this, Sometimes people don't look up until they're flat on their backs. As Jonah's in the belly of this great fish, he is praying fervently. That's an understatement, I'm sure. Fervently to the God of heaven. So his repentance was motivated by God's judgment, but it was also motivated by God's mercy. The fact that he survived this is, is, is showing Jonah that God wants his attention, has gained his attention but is interested in continuing to use him to accomplish his will. So it's not just his judgment that causes Jonah to turn to God. It's also his, his mercy. You'll see, you see in his prayer a great tone of thanksgiving to God for, for his mercy as it was shown to him. So chapter 1, running away from God. Chapter 2, running to God and praying to Him, turning to Him. Chapter 3, he's running with God. He's running with God. Chapter 3, verse 1. 
Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. That great city. Historians, archaeologists estimate that there were some 600,000 people that lived in Nineveh. Uh, there are even, uh, from archaeology, some descriptions of the, the, the wall around the city that was so wide that three chariots could line up side by side by side. Uh, that's how broad the wall was. And along this wall, which was several miles long, there were these, one source said, 1,500 towers, about 200 feet. This was a, a very large city. Uh, we'll see in the text in chapter 4, I believe, that it took about three days NIV states to, to see the whole city. Three days. It's a very large city. And again, they're, they're known for their cruelty, particularly to, to captives. And Israel would, would experience that. But God says again to Jonah the second time, Go to Nineveh and preach to it the message that I will tell you. Verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Here it is, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. <clears throat> and he cried out and said, here's an eight-word sermon. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Very short to the point. Perhaps he said more, but this is all that Scripture records but this is the message to the city of Nineveh. You've got to repent because in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. And watch, watch the response, verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. Notice not just the people of Nineveh, but even the animals, the flocks. It was a fast for, for all living things. Verse 8. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? From the king on down. The king is even proclaiming this fast and proclaiming how as a people they must turn to God in repentance and perhaps... God will relent from the judgment that he's promised to come upon them. Verse 10. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Jonah, one of the most successful prophets, preachers that you could imagine, a whole city turned back to God from his preaching. This is even a greater response than the wonderful response in Acts chapter 2 where 3,000 uh, respond in obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
What a wonderful response from, from Jonah, who, after God got his attention, he decided to cooperate and run with God instead of against him. Here's some lessons from chapter 3. Number one, Jonah received a second chance to obey God's calling. God is a God of second chances, and aren't we thankful? Throughout the scriptures, we, we find people like David who messed up terribly, but God forgave and gave him another chance. Peter, the, probably the apostle that most of us can most readily identify with him, who messed up, but the Lord forgave him. God is a God of second chances. He gave Jonah a second chance. Jonah took advantage of that and obeyed God's calling. But also notice number two, when Jonah obeyed God's call and cooperated with him, his ministry was blessed with power and success. I can't underscore enough how successful Jonah was. From the king on down to the peasants, there's a, a revival, a renewal, a, a citywide repentance, people turning back to God. And I highlight that. As we approach the fourth chapter. Whereas he was running away from God, chapter 1. Running to God, chapter 2. Running with God, chapter 3. Chapter 4, we find Jonah running ahead of God. Running ahead of God. Watch Jonah's response. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he became angry. What displeases Jonah? That the Ninevites have turned to God. How could that be? Verse 2, so he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. And when you read that verse, don't you think, yes, Lord, those are wonderful qualities that we should celebrate. That you are so gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. One who relents from doing harm. But Jonah is angry at that. He had been so successful, but he didn't want to be. Because he wanted the Ninevites to be destroyed by God, not forgiven by God. And so we find in chapter 4, he's pouting. This prophet of God is, who successful prophet of God is pouting to God. To this extent, verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Isn't that sad? Isn't that so sad? He wants to die because God has been so forgiving of the people of Nineveh. So God teaches him a lesson. Verse 4. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city, out of the city of Nineveh, sat on the east side of the city, and there he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. Perhaps he's hoping God will change his mind again and, and will destroy the city. Verse 6. The Lord God prepared a plant, 
some versions have gourd. There's a debate about the exact identity of this plant. But God, another miracle, God causes this plant to grow. Why? He made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. So can't you see him? He's so angry that the people of Nineveh have repented and that God has relented. He's not punished them as he had said he would if they didn't repent. And so God causes this plant to grow over him. And he's, he's relaxing in the shade. Verse 7. But as morning dawned, the next day God prepared a worm and it so damaged the plant that it withered. What's Jonah's response? Verse 8, and it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Why would God cause this shady plant to grow over Jonah and then cause a worm to kill it and cause this vehement wind to, to close? To, to blow on him and, and the heat, we know about that, don't we? The heat of the sun bearing down upon him. Where Jonah, again, his response, he despairs of his life again. Then God said to Jonah, verse 9, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry, even to death. But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left? He's talking about infants, babies, little children, before they reach the age of accountability. There's 120,000 children, Jonah, in Nineveh, should I not pity them and also even their livestock? And that's where the book ends. Isn't that interesting? That's where the book ends. And you look at Jonah running away from God. But then God gets his attention in the belly of the great fish, and he runs back to God, and he decides he's going to run with God and, and go to Nineveh, just like God had intended for him to. And when he's so successful, the, chap, the book ends with him pouting and wishing to die because he's been so successful. And that's where it ends. And notice these lessons. Jonah second-guesses God. He resents God's offer of grace to Israel's enemies. Here's a quote that I found. Jonah is an intolerant nationalist who wishes to see his nation's enemies destroyed and not saved. And I thought that was a telling statement. He wants them destroyed, not saved. Another lesson is this. Jonah was more concerned about the plant than the souls of the Ninevites. And what a sad commentary that is. <laughs> you see, he's wrapped up in himself, in his own personal comfort, in his own pity party. 
that just as he was afraid God would do, that this God who's so gracious and merciful would forgive these Ninevites who had been so cruel to so many people. He wanted them destroyed. And God spared them. God forgave them. And when this plant that's giving him shade dies, he's more upset over that than he is at the thought of a city that has 120,000 infants in it being destroyed by God. And it caused me to think, how concerned am I about people around me? People that don't know Jesus. Am I more concerned about my personal comforts, my personal likes and dislikes, than about the, the welfare of people's souls around, around me? Jonah, a reluctant prophet, a successful prophet who didn't want to be successful, but he... He learned about a relentless God that refused to allow Jonah to, to disobey him and refused to allow Jonah to, or, and tried to get it through to him, this lesson, that God loves all people and he wants all people to be saved. And we need to have the heart of God. And when we say God is concerned about all people and he wants all people to be saved, that includes you and me and every other person in this world. And he accomplished our salvation and demonstrated his love. Remember this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God so loved the world not just the good people in the world, but all people in the world. God wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4. <clears throat> May we have the heart of God and, unlike Jonah, be thrilled at the repentance of people. Be thrilled that people that have been living a, a horrible life in the sight of God come to faith in Him, turn from that, that lifestyle, and submit their lives to Jesus. That's the heart of God. That's a relentless God who goes to great lengths to accomplish our salvation. And if tonight you're ready to obey the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, or if tonight you des desire the prayers of the church uh, for you, we invite you to come right now as we stand and sing.